You're listening to the Irish Times. It's great to be warm, Pat. <laughs> well, you, this is that's they're the words of somebody who was sat in Croke Park yesterday. I'd in say, January, <laughs> goddammit. In January. What what's cruel and unusual punishment do these people want from me? Did you have your fingerless gloves out? No, you see, well, I'm glad you asked that, Pat. Mm. Because I now have gloves that aren't fingerless, but that you can still type with. Oh. And can, you can still work Are they not just gloves? Can you, you no, can no, because, gloves? because they have some, whatever way they're organised, like you can still tap on your phone with them. Like oh, right, the okay, heat yeah. will still come through. Um I didn't think we were going to talk about gloves here. I'll, I'll tell you that. Yeah, much. okay, fine. But I was at the club finals yesterday in Croke Park with 17 layers of clothing on me. Now, I have been to club finals before on Patrick's Day and been colder than yesterday. Yeah, fair enough. So I will say that for the switch in calendar. But still, January. Jesus so, Christ. So I didn't see any of the Kilku. No, you watched uh, United and Liverpool because uh, you love the black and tans or something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Whereas I'm a proper Gale and I went to the club finals. To witness the, the continuing death of football. The death of football, <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes the, the, yes, the football final was not great, mm. has to be said. Uh, the uh, the silence uh, for the first 10 minutes, it took 24 minutes for the first point from play. And the silence of the first 10 minutes, while both teams essentially parked the bus on each other, uh, Carfin and Kilku, uh, like, you could hear... You, you could hear people frying eggs in the apartments behind Hill 16. It was that quiet for the first 10 minutes. Uh, it wasn't great. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it finished seven all at normal time. Um, Carvin were very much the better team, but they did a bit of... They, I think the technical term for what they did in the last 10 minutes uh, was prick-acting about. Mm. Uh, very all cynically kind of dragging players down and like their their free count was 23-11 uh, in normal time and I know they got on the ref's back and said he's, he's given Kilku everything but 23-11 is more than than even the most biased ref can can make up now I thought Corafin were trained by Johan Cruyff they are, <laughs> yes, and yes, you yes. know had Niskins in midfield yeah, I thought they, they were the saviours of Gaelic football they blessed themselves with the sweat of Joe Brawley before yeah. going out on the pitch every day yeah I like they're, they're a lovely team uh, and Kilku made it very hard for them uh, as is their right and their want uh, but uh it was only, like, it got very tetchy near the end of normal time, uh, which led to a uh, 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 kerfuffle in the tunnel, uh, uh, which obviously pissed Corfin off no end, and they came out, like, full-time score at the end of normal time was seven points each. At the end of half, at half-time in, in extra time, it was one eleven to 7. So basically in 10 minutes, Corfin matched uh, their score from... The previous the hour. previous hour the previous seventy minutes like there was ten minutes of of stoppage time played with all the arson about and pulling and dragging at the end of of normal time and then Carvin just came out and went all right we're, this is over and scored one four inside sort of six minutes and that that was the end of that um, but they're three three back to back to back first it is time, an incredible first time it's ever been done 
they're phenomenal. Uh, they're phenomenal. They they play they they, they when they when they uh, get themselves out of the trenches, they play fantastic football. And the hurling was great crack. They well to the next end. Like Bally, Boris uh, started the better, mm. f- very much the better, and oh, kept dropping balls short. Brendan Maher, God love him. Now there was there were periods of where Brendan Maher was sort of playing Bally Hill on his own. But Jesus, I think they dropped eight balls short over, over the over the course of it's the tough hour. to do that against a team with Ballyhale's firepower, isn't it? And when Ballyhale just sort of stepped into it and, and gathered themselves, uh, and the the <laughs> interesting thing about club finals day, uh, God, you can hear everything. And Henry was going apeshit on the sidelines all the way through the first half. Will you move around? Will you? Move? And giving it all the kind of you know the Rafa pointing. <laughs> Everybody move around, move around. He, do, he likes movement, Henry. You can tell that if and when he takes over Kilkenny, every there'd be nobody standing waiting on the ball. Put it that way. <laughs> but um, yeah, it looked like well, here we're going to see it out very handy. And then uh, the. Boris sort of came back at them in the last 10 minutes came back at them and scored four points in a row and got it down to a point but then TJ just said no no I'm I'm, I'm in charge here as he's um, wanted to do but my favourite uh, player on the day football or hurling was the uh, Boris he was the number 11 but he was playing sort of full forward uh, Jerry Kelly what a player scored six points from play and a sideline cut and uh, like he looks like a man that enjoys his Christmas <laughs> and enjoys most holidays, let's say. <laughs> uh, he looks like, you know what? He has the cut of a club hurler. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does all his gym. I'm not, I'm not casting any aspersions. But he is a look of a fella that you would see on club finals day. Uh, and God bless him. He is some hurler boy. <laughs> He's like, there was no handy points in the six of them. They were all real stylish, winning his own ball out in front, turning this way, flicking that way. And they were, Jesus, I don't know. He's your one to watch, is he? Well, yeah. I mean, he 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 has a bit of watching to do before he becomes <laughs> one to watch on the on the intercounty scene. But what a man! I, 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 an absolute bleeding outrage that TJ Reid got man of the match. Like this guy scores six points from play and a sideline cut from the twenty. Wow! In the club final, and uh, it doesn't get man of the match. Get away out of that. Jesus Christ, <laughs> he was fantastic. Anyway, that was my day in Croke Park. Uh, we have uh, a good show uh, today. We have um, Michael Walker on to talk about uh, United, Liverpool, Solskjaer, Keane, Carragher, all that kind of carry on mm-hmm. later on. But first, we have a Champions Cup quarterfinal draw, Pat. We do. Uh, the quarterfinals are going to be played from April 3rd to 5th. We don't really know the order yet. But the matchups are Leinster versus Saracens, mm-hmm. Clermont versus Racing, Toulouse versus Ulster, and Exeter versus Northampton. Now, there's one that jumps out there at anybody, I think. Indeed. The matchup we care about is Gavin Comiskey with us here now and forever. How are you, Gav? Super, great. Saracens, eh? Yeah. Uh, kind of keeps on giving, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, certainly does I, I guess we, we, we maybe get to the rugby in a bit um, it's a, a plum draw um, over the weekend they were effectively relegated definitely relegated explain it all yeah it was confirmed um, uh, I pointed towards um, Laura Scott who broke the story for the Mail she mm-hmm. now works for the BBC uh, her reporting on it has been very good Lawrence Delalio who is the director of Wasps but uh you know, he's been very good about it on TV and um, 
basically what they all confirmed was Saracens had an option of relegation or an independent audit looking forensically at their accounts and they went, we'll take relegation, thank you very much. Um, so that, as Delalio said on BT Sport, that tells you all you need to know about what's going Does on there. No, what will tell you everything you need to know is the mm. Dyson report, the Lord Dyson report. Go who, on, tell me what who, the Lord Dyson report is. <clears throat> So he was employed um, one of the uh, chief... This isn't le- the Hoover guy, is it? No, he's, he, he, who knows? But he's one of the chief <laughs> legal minds in England. And uh, his report, he was the guy who came... Uh, his report was recommended the 34-point deduction and seven, and £5 million uh, fine, which is now still in place, but they've been relegated on top of that as well because mm. they can't get inside the salary cap of £7 million this season. And they can't get inside that because they couldn't offload their squad because, number one, none of the premiership clubs who feel like they've been cheated by mm-hmm. this dynasty that's been created unfairly by cheating would take their players and also you have to pay compensation to get rid of their they had 16 players at the World Cup by the way I think 13 English players mm. you pay compensation so the compensation counts inside the salary cap so Saracens cannot get under the salary cap um, they like are that, that's that that isn't just a matter of bad faith on their part. They literally can't do it. No, they're in they're in the per, they're in a catch twenty two situation, yeah. all of their own making. Even if they wanted to offload players where they they promised they'd look after mm. and build a co investments with them, which is the core of the problem, mm-hmm. um, they can't get rid of them anyway. Now this squad, this great dynasty, I was saying at the part, it's not quite U.S. Postal. Uh, Lance Armstrong comparisons <laughs> but it's financial doping that's never been seen in this right. sport before okay. and this squad will be disintegrated this squad will be sliced and diced um, in the summer it has to be supposedly it was reported that Owen Farrell said in the dressing room before a remarkable performance it must be said by them with 14 mm. men to beat racing who were gunning for a home quarter as well um, he said I'm staying you know so their captain I saw that reported yesterday right, yeah, yeah I don't know if that's true and Mark McCall was asked afterwards and he goes well <laughs> we have to, we're going to have to talk to everyone again because the players were t- told something in November and they said United front let's battle on we'll focus on the premiership and not getting relegated let's not worry about Europe and you saw that in their team selections yes. we kept expecting them to put out the big guns and they never did but probably because of Munster helped yeah, them yeah, by not putting exactly, them away yeah, yeah. and um, so but they got they got to the last last round and now the twist is they can still win they have three more games in Europe if they keep winning for the next and then they're gone for two three years because you can't get back into Europe if mm. you're in the championship even if you win the tournament but Owen Farrell says that he in other words that he'll stay and play with them in a lower tier so Owen Farrell said that as a team talk before the, the biggest game of the season but let's let's break that down a little bit mm. so Lions year next year he's the England captain so first of all if he wants to play for England and captain England he can't leave the country because that's that's their so he can't play for stone. a French team yeah, so he can't leave as of now yeah so Eddie Jones is meeting yeah. with Saracens yeah. this week uh, I'm sure Warren Gatlin's next in line yeah. as the Lions coach um, do you want the core of your England team because Saracens is the core of the England team playing in the championship next season um, well maybe they're looking at loan options here like we will be talking about this for a long time. Mm. You know, this is going to go on for two, three years. It's not just... Um, they keep trying to say, like, Saracens keep coming out and going, now we can turn the page. Now we can, you know, now we can go back. To, mm. You can't. And they've been trying this and they haven't been contrite. They finally came out with an apology um, in writing this week, over the weekend. But, um, like, two of their players promoting their businesses popped up on News Talk last week and were... their answer. Yeah. It was It was car crash <laughs> before George, George Cruz yeah. and Dominic Day. Um, Nathan dealt with them quite well. He did, did his job really well. Because yeah. they were asked, well, what, what's, your, what's your opinion on all of this? You know, what's, what's your take? Like, this is cheating and it's, mm. it's, it's 
confirmed as cheating and your club is admitted. And he goes, ah, it, it sounded like he was someone on Love Island, George Cruz. He goes, ah, it is what it is. We'll just crack on. Yeah. And you're going, no. no sorry, <laughs> you don't get to promote your business. You're not But nobody's going to let them away with that kind of stuff anymore, which they have been getting away with in the cosy little rugby yeah. fraternity, which has turned on them. Like Rob Baxter, director of Rugby of Exeter Chiefs, mm. He came out, I was at the European launch there a couple of months ago. He came out, along with Chris Robshaw, Harlequin's captain. These are people who intimately know these guys from the England setups and call them cheats. And goes, we've known about this for years. And finally, um, they're getting their comeuppance after winning four premierships and three European titles. Indulge me for a second here. Is there anything to be said now? Uh, uh, as I ask this question, you can be, you, you can tell that I read the Sunday Times yesterday and uh, oh, Stephen Jones put up <laughs> slightly different well, slant an outrageous <laughs> defence of them but is there a kernel of truth in the fact that a 5 million fine and a 35 point deduction was that not enough? Um, do, do, they, do they have to be relegated? I'll tell you why and, they have to and, be relegated and, and have to do the whole sackcloth and ashes thing well, first of all the other clubs are the people making the decisions mm. and they have to be relegated was because what was going to happen this season was they could have survived relegation defended their Champions Cup title stayed in the Premiership and then stayed in the Champions Cup you get a lot of money for those two things mm. because they kept their squad in place actually no sorry their squad is stronger than it was so they're probably even further over the salary cap than they were last season because they signed Elliot Daly from Wasps who's the English fullback who cost who they paid more than he was on in Wasps so that's their wage bill gone up again um, they're, so that's no they had, something had to be done mm. but now there is a Stephen Jones who is uh, at the Sunday Times rugby uh, correspondent for many years has been st- really strongly defending them you can find Brendan Venter out there in the weeds singing them as praises mm. as well there was an astonishing interaction on the Times of London's The Rook podcast between Delalio, who's a columnist for mm. them and Stephen Jones where if people want to go deeper and deeper into it I'd send you towards that where they had an aggressive uh, disagreement mm. over this whole situation was it was a Keenan Carragher style uh, it was it was pretty vicious. <laughs> yeah, I heard about the Keenan Carragher one. I haven't seen it, but it was um, the uh, like Jones said. Well, you're from Wasps, you know what I mean. And the the just kept going. You got to look at the facts here. Mm. What has happened here in the last few years? And, and by the way, in 2015, this information because we don't have we don't know what happened with the Dyson reports. So we don't know the details. And in 2015, there was an investigation into several clubs who've gone over the salary cap. I can't say with certainty that it was Saracens, but there was de- it was a couple of clubs involved. Mm. And so this problem has been going on for a while, and that's why Saracens behind the scenes are going look it's not like you know and Dominic Day on Newstalk tried that one he goes it's not just us and he was stopping going well, at the moment it is just you and you've been caught um, they are trying to imply that other clubs are don't have their shops in order so you can imagine everyone at the moment yeah, all they need is to get one I, I presume the forensic accountants are coming out in force now you know so it Saracens as a club uh it's the whole thing they've built is going to fall apart. Now, the only thing is, before it falls apart, they have Leinster on April 3rd or 4th, just two, three weeks after the Six Nations ends in the Aviva Stadium. So, like, the plot thickens. Yeah, I was going to say, like, a few months back, yourself and Jerry kind of made a good case that Saracens might end up, if they wobbled their way through the group stages, they might throw everything into the knockout stages. So I backed them at 8-1 to one to win the Champions Cup on the back of that conversation. And good, now, basically... Good bet. Good bet. Good bet. And now, basically, they have three games left for the rest of the season that they'll actually want to try in. And the first of those is Leinster. That's essentially the situation, isn't it? Yeah, so as soon as they lose, they're out of Europe for minimum two years. Um, Billy Vonopola broke his arm yesterday in what was an astonishing performance. Billy or Mako? Uh, Billy. Oh, for the third time, he broke his arm 
and it's he's, it's a, it's a serious injury. He's got that big cast on his arm. And it's it's an injury that's kind of mm. slowed his career. So Billy Vanapola is probably out for the gone for the Six Nations, wow. which is good news for everybody else. Um, they've lost him. They're, what they did in that game, though, they, Will Skelton was sent off for a no, complete cast iron high shoulder to he- mm. head hit, and with fourteen men against Racing, who I feel at home certainly are the best team in Europe mm. this year. Uh, they little by little picked them apart and found a way of Toje and Farrell and all that came out and they beat them with 14 men. An astonishing performance from a team that is compiled by cheating, which is established, but an astonishing performance all the same. So you know that uh, it'll, it'll be a, a game of games when they come to Dublin in April. There will be mm. unbelievable stuff. If they win that though, they got I think they got to go away to either Claremont or Racing. So... Just, this applies to Leinster as well. There's no more, uh, there's no more difficult path to. But Leinster would get Marseille. a home draw if they win. win Leinster are home, home than Marseille. That's how their, that's how their route to glory. If they're to go back and win this okay. European title again. Um, the rugby from the weekend. Uh, <clears throat> there's no real point drilling too much into the Irish performances except uh, Ulster, I guess. Um, it was they, they did what they needed to do. Yeah, uh, Ulster's reward is a trip to Toulouse. Yes. Um, for they are operating, as we've said a few times, Dan McFarland has this, this squad, which is not a deep squad, mm. but it's a very good team. When they get everyone on the pitch, they're a really good team. You take one or two away and they're in trouble. But they're, they could actually paint themselves similar to the way Leinster were in 2005, where a really stylish Leinster team that had never actually you know, produced the goods in mm. tough games went to Toulouse and won a great game. The only thing is this Toulouse team, they're the champions of France and they're shaping into... Uh, they're good. The Ramos and Entomac and the boys are going to come back from the Six Nations better again. They're all the twenty, they're early twenty-something boys. So Toulouse could, Toulouse are capable of winning this tournament. Mm. As I've said before, Claremont and Racing are, Leinster are, and Saracens are. Ulster are not at that point, but yeah. they're getting. They've earned through really good coaching, really good play, the great John Cooney in action as ever. They've earned their right to go to Toulouse and con- compete in the top eight of Europe. Um, and if they get anywhere past that, they're breaking their ceiling and they're do- it's a remarkable achievement. Who wins the Heineken Cup, Cal? I think Leinster will win it. Yeah. yeah, as long as they keep, uh, as long as they don't get decimated by mm. injury in the Six Nations, which is a very strong possibility. Um, simple, Claremont are racing, one of them's going to knock each other off. Yeah. They would be the main concerns, but... Like, I, I I don't know how to... I can't even come close to predicting how the Leinster Saracens quarterfinal is going to go until we see the body count see who's there. after Ireland get out of Paris yeah. three weeks before that game yeah. and England's last game is in Rome. And then let's have a look at the rosters and go from there. But um, Leinster have proved themselves the best team in Europe except when Billy Funapola was at the back of the Saracens scrum. They were up until that moment, they were still the best team in Europe last year in Newcastle in the final. So... When pole is gone, it changes the dynamic slightly. But as Pat has put his money where his mouth is, it would be very foolish not to, to, to go financially against Saracens at this point in time. <laughs> no, nobody has come out well from that before. No. So. Uh, Gavin, thank you very much. Uh, we will uh, switch into uh, Six Nations mode from next week. So we'll have you around for that. Looking forward to it. Take it easy. And so it was United-Liverpool yesterday, or Liverpool-United, of course, it was at Anfield. Uh, you saw all of this and I saw minimal amounts of it because I was at Croke Park. Mm. What did you make of it? It was one of those games that uh, Liverpool dominated and you thought to yourself, shortly after halftime, you thought they could conceivably be 4-0 up here. 
and with about five minutes left it was also one of those games where you're thinking oh United are going to get a goal here aren't they <laughs> and really kind of uh, turn the uh, the tables didn't happen like that though um, yeah it, with Liverpool Liverpool got an amazing kind of breakaway goal with an assist for their goalkeeper which was highly entertaining <laughs> just to rub it all in yeah exactly yeah uh, Michael Walker is on the line with us Michael how are you I'm fine thanks what did you make of yesterday well, a bit like that, you know. Mm. Um, I think the the scoreline shouldn't. If I was Manchester United, I, w- I would not let the scoreline cloud the difference in um, levels between the two sides. And um, although Manchester United did show a degree of spirit at times throughout the game, and you know they had a good first ten minutes and they had good fifteen to twenty minutes in the second half. Um, it was within the sort of context of the overall game, whereby when Alden, you know, shoot, you know, scores a goal that's a millimeter offside, there's a question mark over the Firmino goal, um, and just the overall dominance. Whatever Liverpool really got at it was, was, was it was a gulf, and that's that's the problem for Manchester United now. It's not it's not a gap. It's a gulf. Liverpool have just Liverpool as a team. And you feel as a club structurally have just created a gulf, and that is, um, and I don't think a two-nil scoreline with a goal in the last minute reflects that. That is the thing, though, Michael. From Solskjaer's point of view, he can point to the fact that even a couple of weeks ago they played City in the uh, League Cup, and for a while it looked like they were going to be absolutely wiped off the pitch. In the end, it was a 3-1 defeat and it didn't look that bad. Yesterday, it looked like they were going to be wiped off the pitch. In the end, it was a 2-0 defeat and it didn't look that bad again. Like, can Solskjaer point to the fact that his team is able to dig in and they not get wiped out in how it looked like that they were going to be? Well, yeah, I suppose you can't take that. You know, you can't, you know, he has to look at it that way and look at who played well and, you know, the fact that, the you know, Players like Fred Matic um, kept going. You know, even Marshall showed a bit more yesterday. I thought, and sometimes he does in terms of commitment. Um, uh, but it's it's not enough. You know, you know, there, there's not enough class in the team, and I, that sounds very harsh on the players. I don't like doing that, but it's you know they 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 need to upgrade in several positions. Um, you know, I know they've spent all that money on Harry Maguire, and um, that's the market value. So that's just one of those things. Harry Maguire's a good player, um, but he needs he needs an excellent centre half beside him, I think. And um, Lindelof, I don't think, falls into the category of excellent. Um, so it's it's it's. I, I I would I would be more worried than reassured by by the performance, to be honest. And I actually think that the, a, a really, really big game is coming on Wednesday because they've got Burnley at home, and that could that could be troublesome. And imagine if it is troublesome. That's um, that might tell that might tell us more about where Manchester United are. You know, like whenever they draw, you know, at Wolves in the cup um, or lose two 0 at, at Arsenal, you know, who aren't a great Arsenal team. That that sometimes is is telling us as much as a, spirit, a, a level of spirit shown against Liverpool. That's the 
the, the been the most frustrating thing I would say uh, as a United fan watching them is that um, right, right. this this idea they, like you know they can come away from games against City against Liverpool bigger games against bigger teams having you know come with a plan for containment and because they they do have fast players they do have technically decent players have been able to play on the break and look quite exciting while doing so um, yeah, yeah. but that's you know you can't do that against Burnley you know you can't do that against uh, teams from the lower half of the table who are going to treat you like like old style Man United and try and sit in against you then you need a plan to play against them and that is where they've looked lacking so so stringently yeah well they need they need creativity but they you know you could go you could go through the team and just say yeah they need something there they need something there yeah. they need something there you know and that's after so much expense on players already you know is um you know, it's just that. It, well, that just is the, the mark of how poor their recruitment has been, and inappropriate. Um, and you know, and it, it's just things like Alexis Sanchez. It's just unnecessary. Mm. You know, it's unnecessary recruitment, um, and done without a plan. It feels, and that's that would worry you too. So, if there is a plan, and the plan involves Solskjaer, then there may then there is there, there is at least an argument to say you should stick with them. So there is at least logic to it because if there is a plan, this is what we're going to do. We're going to buy young players and in three years' time, you're going to see a really different Manchester United or two years. Whatever. Mm. And I know there's no patience anymore, but if if you if you articulated that argument, at least it would be there and there would be an argument. So, you know, and there would be a plan. Their problem, but, Michael, though, it, is how... how like, how do you ride out the periods of mediocrity that that sort of become inherent in that plan? If you, if you say, okay, wait, we'll be, you know, we're bringing through young players and in two, three years we're going to be Man United again. What, you know, what does everybody do in the meantime? How do you ride ride out those those games against, you know, mid-level teams where they get nowhere or the odd hiding that they're going to take along the way? Well, um, well, the reality is that people will do it. People will stick. Supporters will still go. You know, there may be a drop off, and mm. there was a drop off towards the end of last season. Um, so it will be interesting to see if there's a drop off towards the end of this season, if the sort of mediocrity continues. Um, and but there's that kind of up down result pattern at the minute that means that supporters do find themselves with something to cling to. You know, so the boot. You know they'll score four against Newcastle and four against Norwich, and you know they'll they'll show a bit of fight yesterday. Um, and there's there there are things to cling to. So if they but if they have if they have you know a month in March of sort of mediocre performances, then it's whether then that affects the you know the numbers coming through the door. It's kind of interesting. Uh, yesterday on Sky Television, we, you had this unusual situation of Jamie Carragher essentially calling for the um, Manchester United boss to be sacked because he wasn't up to it. You'd think a Liverpool diehard like Carragher would want Solskjaer to be left in the job as long as possible. <laughs> but Roy Keane was, was arguing the other way and Roy Keane's take on it was that uh, he deserves to be given time. In fact, he, he even added in at some point that Mourinho should have been given more time. 
But if we do... And of, David Moyes. And David Moyes, indeed. He wants everybody to be given time. But if you look at Solskjaer, people are kind of worried that there isn't any forward momentum and that basically recruitment at the club has been shocking for a long time. But Solskjaer could argue that his recruitment has been better than most in that he's got rid of some of the deadweight, like you mentioned, Sanchez, um, Lukaku, who maybe wasn't deadweight but didn't want to be there. And essentially, Solskjaer signed three players. Harry Maguire, who you wrote a piece about on, on the paper on, on Saturday, Michael, who is now the captain. Yeah. Juan Basaka, who looks like a fine signing. Daniel James, who maybe is tiring a little bit, but looked like a good signing. Like three of those guys, along with Rashford, have arguably, have arguably been United's best four players this season. From that point of view, like, can you argue that Solskjaer has them moving in the right direction? Well, well if you take, if you take those those players you've mentioned, although I, to, I have to say that Juan Bissaka, the praise for him is, has exceeded what he has done, in my opinion. Um, but Daniel James, you know, he didn't have a, he obviously didn't have a great game yesterday, but you know, he has he has lived good at times, you know, so I, I, I understand that. You can say that, that, that the buying in the past, you know, 12 months has been better than previous, and that wasn't Solskjaer's doing. So, so it could be that um, you know you never know. They may get a player this. They may get a player this month, and they may get three more in the summer, and it may look different in August. But I understand that's easy for for me to say sitting here. But the level of patience required from people and the level of trust, because it's not just about Solskjaer. You know, it's about the hierarchy above Solskjaer. You know, there's no trust in that hierarchy from the fan base no. anymore. So that that like that's a massive problem, and they have lost the the hierarchy has lost credibility, whatever credibility it had, but it has certainly lost it, and therefore they need to make three or four really exceptional things to um, to restore some of that. But also, you know, they have to be effective. All those things have to be have to work on the pitch. Um, and I don't know. I know. I know the the debate about whether you know Solskjaer should be there or whatever. And I can sort of understand what Roy Keane is saying, but you can also understand Jimmy Carragher as well. You know, as a neutral, you sort of saying, "Well, what direction is this going in?" But then you have two. You immediately have two other questions. The first question concerns who's making the appointment. So that's the same people who have made the last appointments. So do you trust them? The second question is who's available, who comes in, and who works, because you you know they've appointed really good managers in the past. Like Louis Van Gaal is not a bad manager, but it just doesn't work. It has to work. It has to be appropriate and effective. So while Pochettino's around, will it work? You have to understand what Pochettino brings and whether it will be a fit in that club. You sort of look at it and think, well, yeah, it should be. It should be a fit. Um, you look a bit further afield and think, well, is Nagelsmann uh, at Leipzig worth waiting for? You know, is he is he someone you should be approaching now to try and get him in the summer? Um, so you ha- the, the alternatives have to be viable because you can't just sack him and then and then start looking. So I think that would be that would be the biggest error of all. Um, just switch to Liverpool uh, just to finish up uh, I, I, it's, 
it's ridiculous really that they're kind of an afterthought now because they're just what what is there left to say about them you know they they are going to win the league they may well do it unbeaten uh they are i i only realized yesterday they haven't they, they have seven clean sheets in a row they haven't conceded a goal yeah. since since the first week of december like yeah. they 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 have to be one of the one of the greatest premier league teams that there has ever been Oh yeah, well, like, in Premier League terms, and going back before that, yeah, before that, you know, they're, they're, they're certainly uh, they're certainly up there with. Um, although, you know, I mean, they're European champions already. Mm. You know, so you know they, we know we know they're pretty good. Um, but it's that kind. Of, the the thing that sort of mark that will mark them out is whether it is the repetition of trophies. So if this is the first of three in a row, something like that. They're not really marked them out as historically important. They are, I, I don't think you can call them historic at the minute. Um, but they're on their way to it. Um, and they can become an historically important team. And the thing about the thing that would make you think that that can happen is that the structure around the club is so good. The manager is so good and appropriate and fits and works. The young players they have um, look really good. They've recruited really well um, locally, and they've brought in a couple of other young players. And then, and then their actual sort of acquisitions in the transfer market have been really good too. So they've they've got it all right, and it means that they look. At, you know, you can't say now they're going to win the next three league titles, but it's it's worth considering now that that you that this could be the beginning of a Liverpool era under Klopp. Are you prepared yet to say, Pat, that they're going to win this title? Yeah, I'm kind of listening to you thinking, you know, they haven't won one title yet, so <laughs> I think we need to steady on on, on the greatest talk just yet. <laughs> you're just not, you're not going to buy it, really, until until you put your fingers in the wounds. <laughs> well, everything, everything is premature, you know. It's just the nature of things today, the, the nature of scrutiny is... is that people want judgments all the time, and it's premature. It's people saying it's the greatest World Cup halfway through, and then the second half of the World Cup's really flat. <laughs> you know, it's it's just like it happens all the time. This Liverpool team the greatest in history. But I haven't won the league yet. You know, and I, you'd need to you'd need to talk to Kenny Dalglish and Bob Paisley about that. <laughs> I think they're probably guaranteed top four at this stage, Pat. You'll accept that. I'd say they're safe enough for the Champions League spots, all right, yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael, thanks a million. No problem. We'll thanks chat to you again uh, at a later date. Uh, thanks also to Gavin, who was in earlier. Thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Pat. Thanks to Declan and Suzanne behind the desk. And we will chat to everyone next week. Cheers, folks. <laughs>